When I was promoted from salesperson to sales manager, I thought that my new title officially announced to the world that I was a leader. Well, I was wrong. In fact, I quickly learned three things. One, a title doesn't make you a leader. It merely affords you an opportunity to become one. Two, as a leader, you don't automatically have followers. You have subordinates. How you act as a leader determines whether a subordinate ever becomes a follower. And three, leadership is performance and not position. It's a choice you make. It's not a place where you sit. Eager to excel in my new position, I worked hard on my job, but I abused my body, swelling to 40 pounds overweight and earning my new manager's merit badge, an ulcer in the process. Uh, to my credit, I was good at closing deals for my sales team, scheduling, forecasting, and writing daily memos for my bulging procedures manual. In a given day, I spent most of my time with stuff, which I've since come to categorize as everything in my job that has nothing to do with people. In fact, I preferred the stuff over the people because I wasn't very good with people. I managed through intimidation, substituted rules for relationships, and had a hair-trigger temper that was a catalyst for creating a culture of fear. Although I never attended a university, co-workers rightly claimed that I had a master's degree in disempowerment and a bachelor's in bullying. Then one day everything changed. Norm Albertson, the pastor of my church, stopped by my office and brought with him two leadership training programs by John Maxwell, a guy I had never heard of. One of the programs was on leadership priorities, and the other explained key differences between being a manager and being a leader, which I had wrongly thought were synonymous terms. Listening to Maxwell talk about leadership humbled me because I realized I was, at best, a ceremonial leader. All I had was a new title, which I wrongly assumed made me more competent. His teachings stirred up in me a desire to become a better leader. Uh, frankly, I was tired of doing too much work by myself because I trusted no one else to share the load. I was also discouraged that I wasn't doing enough to help my people reach their potential. Uh, perhaps what I was most excited about was that he said the principles he taught were biblically based. Uh, this meant a lot to me because I had become a Christian at age 12 and had great respect for the Bible, even though I didn't spend a lot of time reading it at the time. After reviewing the tapes several times, I began reading the Bible for business wisdom as well as for life wisdom. As a result, I changed my leadership style, priorities, and thinking. I began using the Bible as a filter to make decisions ranging from personnel to customer care issues. In the aftermath of implementing these changes, my career shifted from a slow shuffle up a steep staircase to an express elevator to the top. As a student of the Bible, I have found that both success and failure leave clues, and you don't have to invent leadership principles to become more successful anymore than you must suffer countless disappointments through personal trial and error to learn what doesn't work. Instead, you can learn from some of the best and worst leaders of all time who preceded you on this journey, as described in the Bible, and apply timeless, proven principles to improve every aspect of your organization. Think about it this way. The Bible is a slice of God's mind. How foolish do we have to be to continue to labor under our own intuition or to chase the fads of others in pursuit of greater success when the source of infinite wisdom is so readily available to us? In this chapter, you'll learn from two of the best leaders in the Bible, a king and the king. You could certainly argue that there are additional or different leaders that I could have chosen to highlight in the following pages. I would agree with you. In reality, there are too many to list, and enough lessons from their lives to fill volumes of books. 
Thus, I've chosen the two I believe you'll gain the most benefit from in the shortest amount of time and who will help you to begin running your business by the book. A caution, though. Uh, Your natural tendency might be to use these principles to first try and fix the people or broken systems and strategies that surround you. That would be a serious error. Because nothing is going to get much better in your organization until you do. You'll be relieved to know that in this chapter, David and Jesus will offer six insightful steps, three each, on how you can make that happen.